0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Alley. This week's guest is Kentucky First District Congressman James Comer. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Representative James Comer next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Freshman Representative James Comer is one of a handful of elected officials who still actively farms for a living. The Kentucky Republican says addressing the nation's debt will make approving a new farm bill even more of a challenge. Comer notes the diversity of fellow members on the House Agriculture Committee and their resolve to see new legislation as approved.
1: i really I'm impressed with the committee from a working together standpoint. Uh, I do believe that uh, that's probably the most uh, bipartisan committee uh, I've seen in Washington, which is good. Uh, there are people on the committee for different reasons. Obviously, there uh, aren't very many people on the Agriculture Committee, unfortunately, that have an agriculture background, uh, but m- uh, many of them represent agriculture districts. Uh, then there are also people on there exclusively because of their desire to fund SNAP and a lot of food assistance type programs uh, that are funded in the Farm Bill. So you have a very diverse committee that in the end, that committee sincerely wants to pass a Farm Bill. We may not agree with uh, every part of the Farm Bill or the funding levels or every program, but in the end. Uh, that committee really is sincere about passing a farm bill, whereas there are many members of Congress that are not sincere about passing a farm bill.
0: How do you see agriculture's plight on the Hill, especially in the House of Representatives, where there are so many who don't have any agriculture in their district at all? What challenge does that present?
1: It's a huge challenge. Uh, Fortunately, there are some members of Congress uh, scattered around that have strong agriculture backgrounds. They're just not on the Agriculture Committee for for whatever reason. So I've, after eight months, identified every member of Congress that I believe to be a, a supporter of agriculture and family farmers. So I kind of know the ones that are, and uh, that's still a minority uh, in Congress. So it it's going to be a challenge to promote agriculture and protect our family farmers. There are fewer and fewer members of Congress with agriculture backgrounds, so it's important that those of us that do have agriculture backgrounds, those of us that do represent farm districts, that we need to stick together and work closely with the ag commodity groups. The agriculture commodity groups cannot be on different pages this time. We, we all, you know, the corn growers, the soybean board, the livestock producers, all have to be on the same page if we're going to uh, get this farm bill passed and, and get a farm bill that will actually help our family farmers.
0: What's in this 18 farm bill that is so important to your home state of Kentucky, and do you find after being there that some of the things that Kentucky needs are also some of the same things that other farmers in other states need?
1: Absolutely. The number one priority is and will continue to be crop insurance. Especially with the downturn in commodity prices, you know, the last time Congress passed a farm bill, we were in the up cycle of commodity prices. Now, I hope we're at the bottom of the of the cycle, and it's very important because I'm starting to listen to bankers across the first congressional district of Kentucky say that you know, for the first time in in decades since since the '80s, they're starting to get concerned about the ability to give credit to farmers for the next growing season, and the one thing that gives them the confidence and gives them the legal ability with the way the uh, Dodd-Frank and the, and the banking laws are now, uh, the one thing that gives them the ability to provide access for, for farmers for capital is the federal crop insurance program. So that's the number one priority. Obviously, uh, funding for research universities, it's very important in agriculture that we continue to invest in in research. And our universities, most of the land-grant universities in America, do a tremendous job with that. They also provide research dollars for other universities that have strong agriculture programs, like the one in my district, Murray State University. So we need to do everything we can to Make people aware that that the farm bill is is much more than crop insurance, but crop insurance is our is our number one priority right
0: now. You've had the opportunity to spend some time with the commander in chief uh, President Trump uh, and you're also from a state and and have an agricultural background. Some of the industry were a little bit confused after meeting at the White House with the President and him being so attentive to agriculture issues and even recently being in Iowa. His budget called for pretty significant cuts in the USDA and even cuts to crop insurance. How do you work through this?
1: Well, I think we'll get the crop insurance part straightened out. And if you listen to people in the administration, they say, well, the USDA cuts mainly are administrative staff in Washington, D.C. I think that the president's been faced with a terrible budget dilemma. We have a $20 trillion budget debt. And he's he's proposed a budget, which is the first step. Uh, The president proposes a budget, then it goes to the House of Representatives, where it will be drastically altered. And I can assure you that uh, a lot of the cuts to agriculture will be restored. But I think the president's really trying to come up with a with a balanced budget. Uh, And unfortunately, if you're going to have a balanced budget, there are going to be cuts that that we all are going to be faced with, and that nobody's going to like. But uh, you know it's uh, it's we're at a critical point in america with a 20 trillion dollar budget debt our economy's not growing so w- one of the things that i've talked to the to president and and his administration about is if we're in an environment where we're going to have to make cuts to to agriculture we have to ensure that new markets are available we have to ensure that there are safeguards there to where we don't drop credit and, and, and he understands credit, believe me. He's a business guy who, who has always been, if you've read his books as I have, he's always been very leveraged like, like, like I am on my family farming operation. So he gets the, the credit. Whereas I don't know that the last president ever, uh, had any type of business loan other than a mortgage on his house. So, uh, I, I feel like he gets, he gets the challenges that we have in agriculture. He understands that we need to grow our markets. So, if, if we're gonna have to take a, a cut here and there in, in agriculture, we're gonna have to replace that with new markets, just like the cuts to Medicaid. You know, whether we like it or not, we're gonna have to make cuts to Medicaid. And what I've said in my district, it's a very de- poor district, very dependent on Medicaid, we're gonna hopefully replace those cuts with Medicaid with new jobs and new opportunities where we can get people off Medicaid and into the private uh, health and church market through a, a new job that pays a living wage and a, and a good benefit package. So that's what we've got to do with agriculture. We've got to open up these new markets. And and to me, I will go along with cuts if there are new opportunities available for farmers. Right now, we ha- we haven't opened up those new doors. But I'm working with the administration on trade, and hopefully, we we can create new opportunities.
0: Talk about the significance of the Choice Act and why that is so important for farmers and for lending.
1: That's a huge bill. That's something I'm very pleased that we passed out of the House and and we did it uh, with with relative ease. I mean, it was a party line vote. I think every Democrat voted against it and and only one Republican voted against it. But the Choice Act essentially repeals the overwhelming majority of Dodd-Frank. And Dodd-Frank is something I understand. For 12 years, I was a director of a small community bank headquartered in Glasgow, Kentucky, that served uh, south-central Kentucky. And I was a director before Dodd-Frank and after Dodd-Frank. Uh, I've had many loans with with community banks in my area. I also have loans with farm credit. But, so I've seen banking change under Dodd-Frank, uh, with, uh, at the community bank level. And what, what happened, Dodd-Frank passed after the banks were bailed out, uh, after some of the big Wall Street investment banks collapsed. And what that Dodd-Frank did, it treated every bank the same. You know, you had two enormous investment banks, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, that, that folded, you know, that collapsed because they were making very risky loans, and the loans they were dealing with were more derivatives and and things like that. The community banks didn't do anything wrong. There was not one community bank in America that failed, nor was there a community bank in America that was in financial trouble. But they passed this bill, and they applied it to every bank. They treated every bank the same. Well, there's a big difference in Citibank and Bank of America and my little South Central Bank or uh, the Bank of Ohio County, you know, it, it's it's a huge set of bureaucracies that were created, uh, an enormous amount of compliance, regulatory burden. It made it harder to get a line of credit. It made it harder to get a mortgage. They reclassified how you uh, assessed your collateral, making it much harder to get any type of business loans for startups or new farmers or anything like that. So, it had unintended consequences. Congress overreacted. They did a one-size-fit-all for every bank in America, which we all know there's a big difference in the in the Bank of Americas and, and the U.S. banks and, and in our little community bank. So uh, this bill repeals that, and it should make it easier to get credit, which we need in agriculture because, you know, with the, with the commodity prices where they are now, and it looks like we're going to have a bumper crop hopefully this year, Banks next year, you know, they're they're going to need every tool they can to help our, our, our their good customers that have always done things right. Unfortunately, with Dodd-Frank, there were customers at, at our bank that we had for 15, 16 years, and they never missed a payment that we couldn't renew their, their loans or their line of credit because of the new new banking rules. So the Choice Act passed the House. Uh, it, it'll make Borrowing money easier if it becomes law. Unfortunately, it's in the Senate now, where it takes sixty votes to pass, and you have senators like Elizabeth Warren that uh, don't really understand community banks. She she taught at Harvard, uh, so she's you know smarter than anybody else in the room on on economics. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, she's she's uh, always on television bad mouthing the bill, saying it was to protect the big banks. I don't have a big bank in my district. My district's all community bank, so she you know is not knowledgeable of that issue. But she has a big bully pulpit on on a lot of talk shows, and and she's going to make it uh, a difficult process to get to 60 votes in the Senate because you're going to have to have eight Democrats.
0: Straight question. Did the Dodd-Frank hurt your community? Did it hurt the people in your district or help the people in your district?
1: It hurt the people in my district because it made it harder to borrow money. It hurt the banks. And I'll tell you what a lot of the banks did, and our bank did this. We have less loan officers today than we did before Dodd-Frank. And the reason is we couldn't make as many loans, so we got rid of loan officers and hired compliance people to do paperwork. You know, if you took out a line of credit or, or a mortgage before Dodd-Frank, you signed probably four or five papers. Now, if you have a line of credit, and I renewed mine the other day, I, I, I signed papers for 30 minutes in there. We have less loans on the books today than we did before Dodd-Frank. And, and you know, everybody knows you should grow your loans, uh, you know, at least at the rate of inflation every year. Another bad thing that happened with Dodd-Frank, Before Dodd-Frank, there was a new bank popping up every now and then all over the state of Kentucky and all over America. Since Dodd-Frank, we've lost about a community bank a day. So there's not been in Kentucky, there has not been one new bank chartered since Dodd-Frank. But there are significantly less banks because what happened, it made the big banks bigger because they, the little banks couldn't keep up with all the compliance and their profit margin shrank to, to nothing so they had to sell to bigger banks so it had a uh, very negative effect on the economy in not just my community but but all of uh, rural
0: America speaking to the administration uh, President Trump uh, spent time uh, on the banks of the Ohio River and talking about the need for infrastructure as it pertains to the waterways to locks and dams do you concur
1: I, I do you know in agriculture the river industry is huge we have a very aged infrastructure system along our rivers. We have a lot of locks and dams that are in bad need of repair. The river industry is changing with the increase in in the size of the Panama Canal. Uh, We're going to have to invest more in infrastructure. This is something the president understands. It's something that's very important for agriculture because so much of what we grow in rural America now uh, is exported. And if it's exported, it goes to a port somewhere, and to get there, it goes along the river.
0: You live in a rural area, and the President's plan would use some taxpayer dollars, but also find money from private enterprise. Do you think that would sell in your area?
1: Yes, it would. There are parts of Kentucky that people are adamantly opposed to, what's called public-private partnership, which are essentially things like tolls, but it's the future. You know, with a $20 trillion budget debt, with, with infrastructure uh, in a huge demand, uh, not just our waterways, not just our roads and bridges, but also broadband, uh, wireless technology. We, we have to make a significant n- investment in America, and the only way we're going to be able to fund that type of uh, investment that's needed is through public-private partnerships. So I think most of the people in my area understand that. Uh, we need a couple of bridges, bridges, along the interstate and parkway systems in in Kentucky that are going to be what's called mega-projects. The only way to fund these mega-projects are through tolls, and I think most people understand that and and support that.
0: There's another step toward rural development that I would offer or at least suggest that rural broadband is the electricity of yesterday where rural co-ops work together to bring electricity to rural people across the country it's the rural areas now that suffer with either no service or a lack of service and for agriculture where technology is critical it's holding back
1: you're exactly right uh, we have to make an investment in broadband in rural america you know we one of the things that i talk about a lot Uh, We're losing our best and brightest in rural America every day. Uh, They are graduating from high school and going to college or uh, a trade school somewhere, and then they're not coming back home to the rural communities because there are more opportunities in the bigger cities and in in the other states. So uh, to change that, we have to attract good-paying, next-generation-type jobs to rural America. If you don't have broadband technology, then it's not going to happen. And, and you're exactly right. Uh, we're gonna have to make an investment in the rural areas because, uh, the, the private companies just aren't gonna make the type of investment that's needed because there aren't the, the number of customers they need to, to show a profit. So it's gonna take a, a public private partnership and I think the electric, uh, cooperatives are, and the way that was set up to get electricity all over America, I think that's the same type of concept we need to have and, the same level of, of priority that we need to have to help uh, develop our, our rural economies and, and help our family farmers in the rural areas.
0: Congressman, we've spoken with the pork and the, the beef industry about the concern over animal disease, and both those groups have called for a vaccine bank to help protect our livestock industry. How do you see the significance of their request?
1: It's very significant. We've talked about it several times in the Agriculture Committee and in Congress. Uh, every member of the committee knows how uh, important it is to have that. Uh, you know, Kentucky, uh, my home state, is the biggest uh, livestock producing state east of the Mississippi River. Uh, when I was Commissioner of Agriculture, we had the Office of State Veterinarian. I said my number one priority in the Office of State Veterinarian is to prevent livestock disease outbreaks. So it's something that I completely understand and it's something that I, I'm confident the agriculture committee understands. The problem is, is the funding for it. I think that there's going to be an effort to provide funding for some level of disease vaccine bank uh, investment in the farm bill. Whether it makes it through the entire process or not, I don't know, but uh, you're exactly right. It's something that the livestock groups have been really really shouting about and uh, you know urging Congress to support. It's something I support. It's going to be impossible to fund it at the levels that we need to fund it. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to fund it at at any level, but it's something that I support.
0: One of the more challenging objectives for this committee, and there have been a number of hearings on it on the Agriculture Committee, is that of federal nutrition. How do you see the need to provide for those who are in need but at the same time reduce waste in the system?
1: Well, you know, the president proposed cuts to SNAP and a lot of groups got real upset over that. But one thing people have to realize is under President Obama, the funding for SNAP just grew significantly. So some of the cuts that the president proposed you know, they would still be in line with what the funding would have been uh, under President Bush or under President Clinton. And also, a lot of the farmers fuss about the amount of funding in the Farm Bill for programs like SNAP. But the reality is, in order to get the votes to pass the Farm Bill, we're gonna have to make a significant investment in, in SNAP and food assistance programs. So, uh, they may get cut some in the in the short term, but when the farm bill is finally signed into law, I'm going to predict that there will not be very many cuts to to SNAP. I would like to uh, make some more cuts to that. I'm sympathetic, and I want to help people that need help. It's just like every other uh, type of of welfare program or assistance program that that we have in America now. Uh, it's grown beyond recognition uh, programs like snap programs like medicaid were created to be safety net they were short-term safety nets but what happens is people have gotten on them and they stay on them and they feel like that's an entitlement that they're entitled to for the rest of their lives and, and the taxpayers can't continue to do that so we need to look at making more efficiencies within that program But unfortunately, the reality is to to get the number of urban votes that we're going to need to pass the Farm Bill, uh, I'm going to predict that at the end of the day there will not be a lot of difference in the SNAP funding.
0: Well, Congressman James Comer, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and sir, you have an open forum.
1: Thank you, sir, for all you do for agriculture.
0: Our thanks to Kentucky First District Representative James Comer, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.